So welcome back. Week four of our sermon series called Hidden Gods. Today we're talking about a topic that when it comes up, it often makes many of us blush. If you just say the word in a group of middle school kids, there's going to be snickering and, and giggling. Right? It's, a t- it's a topic that, that many people, when they hear about it, they get a little uncomfortable. It's a topic that parents dread talking to with their kids, I think. And maybe it's a topic that a lot of people would say, well, maybe we shouldn't really talk about it much because it's kind of a, a private thing and a personal thing. And maybe we sure shouldn't talk about it here at church. But did you know that sex comes up in the very first chapter of God's word? Right In chapter number one of the book of Genesis, it lays out how God created the heavens and the earth, and it kind of comes to a culmination on day six when God creates man and woman, puts them together as husband and wife, and God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure God is telling them to have sex and have kids and procreate because that was God's design from day one. Right? Sex it was part of God's blueprint that he interwove into his creation, particularly of man and woman that he put together as husband and wife. And so at the beginning, there was no shame attached to sex. There was no uncomfortable feelings, no snickering, no giggling. It wasn't taboo because God said, this is my gift to you. But you all know that two chapters later, something happened, right? Something happened that would change the course of human history and that we ourselves to this very day feel its deadly damning effects. Adam and Eve rebel. They disobey God, they sin, and with sin comes all kinds of deadly consequences. And so all of God's good gifts, including sex, were distorted. People started living their way and not his way. They they started doing what they wanted, how they wanted, when they wanted, instead of following God's blueprint in their lives. And that included their view and use of sex. Right, right, in many ways, this hidden God of sex is like all the other ones we've been talking about. Approval, appearance, money, and now sex. They're all blessings. They're all gifts that God says, here they are. Use them my way, and you'll be blessed tremendously. But throughout the course of history, people, including ourselves, have pursued these hidden gods so much that we were even willing to sin against God to get them. And that is what we call an idol, right? Something that we worship more than we worship God. And today, this is the one we're talking about. We're talking about the hidden God of sex, a good gift that sometimes we have just messed up completely. No, I know it's uncomfortable. I know some of you are thinking, why are we talking about this? I don't really want to. But we have to because God does. Right? God, God created you to be a sexual being. God created you to, to have sex with your spouse in marriage 
to be a blessing. It wasn't supposed to be bad. It wasn't supposed to be dirty. It wasn't supposed to be taboo. We don't talk about this. This is how God intended. But we've messed it up. And now when it comes to sex, when we don't use sex God's way, it brings pain, it brings hurt, it brings anger, it brings frustration, and it even destroys relationships. And so we got to talk about it. Now, now, maybe one of the difficult parts of talking about this, I think there's maybe two big ones, is that we live in a world where we are daily bombarded with messages about sex. Would you agree? I mean, if you're tapped into anything at all, TV shows, social media, internet, whatever, we are constantly bombarded with a message that's trying to sell us sex. Maybe it's the car ad, the commercial for the beauty product, clothes. I mean, even to sell food, what do they often do? Put a nice-looking person, a man or woman, out there laying on a car, eating a cheeseburger, and why do they do it? Because sex sells. It does. Another difficult thing to navigate with this topic is the fact that this world is constantly telling you when it comes to sex and sexuality, do it your way, whatever feels good, flaunt it, explore it, just so long as nobody gets hurt, right? It doesn't matter. Nothing's off limits as long as it makes you happy. And again, no one's hurt. Well, then... Anything goes. And then they look at this book right here, right? And God has a lot to say about sex. We're not even going to scratch the surface of all the passages that he does today, but, but then they look at a book like this and like, man, God, come on, you got to lighten up. That's pretty outdated. That's pretty old-fashioned. I mean, this ain't the 50s, God. Because you know what God says about sex in his word? So sex is awesome. Sex is a great gift. Sex is something I'm going to give to you and you, a man and a woman, in your marriage, and that's it. It's not for if you love each other or we're soulmates or you're two consenting adults. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, don't use it that way. I want it to be used in your marriage to be a blessing. In fact... You know that Jesus is so serious about sex and how we use it that he even says, I want you to repent, right? You know what repent means? It says, say sorry and turn from a sin. I want you to repent even if you only have this, a lustful thought. Even if you never act on it, I want you to repent of that too. I remember Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount? First he started out with murder and he says, okay, all you think you've never murdered before, but I tell you if you've hated your brother, you're a murderer. Oh, you got me. And then Jesus says, God says don't commit adultery, but, but I tell you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, even if you never say anything, even if you ever act on it, you've broken that commandment too. And again, the world says, come on. That's outdated, right? And that's the struggle, isn't it? Because the world, or God says, enjoy sex in marriage, and the world simply says, enjoy sex, period.
But as we look deeper at this topic, again, when we misuse or abuse this gift that God has given to us, it can cause all kinds of pain and hurt. And it's not just out there, right? We could easily just go, oh, look at this culture, they're so bad. What is that going to do? Because there's a lot of Christians that sit in chairs just like yours right now, and people even right here who love Jesus, who love God's word, who come to church regularly, they struggle with this topic. And so even if you don't, I guarantee you know people that do, whether you realize it or not. And so because we love God and his word and we love the people that God puts in our lives, we have to talk about it. We have to navigate what God says about it. And in order for us to do that today, we're, we're going to take a closer look at that gospel reading. I'm not going to put the whole thing back up here. So if you have the, the worship guide or whatever, you want to pull that out, you got your Bible app. We're going back to John chapter 8. And what do we see? We meet a woman who was found out. Right, the gig's up. Everybody now knows that she was cheating on her spouse or that he was married and she was messing around with a married man and the whole town now knows it. All the text messages that she tried to keep hidden, all the little rendezvous that maybe she told her family, I'm just going to the gym or I got an extra stop for shopping, they know. All the lies she told her husband or her kids, it's all come out now. And she stands there before all these religious people, and then Jesus, and I would guess that she just wanted to die. <laughs> you imagine that? You imagine not just your spouse or your kids or your family, but your whole church and your whole town knows whatever sin it was you were doing. I mean, imagine that feeling. And not only did she want to maybe die, <laughs> there were actually people who wanted her dead. Right, these religious leaders, they, they, they caught her in the act, and I'm not even going to start to talk about some of the questions I have, like how did they find out about this? And where was the guy, because he wasn't innocent either, but, but you got these religious guys dragging her out to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, what are we going to do? You know what Moses says, right? Moses says we're going to all pick up rocks, we're going to throw them at her until she doesn't get out of it anymore, because she is a no good, disgusting, adulterous, home-wrecking sinner. But before we kill her, Jesus, we're kind of curious, what do you think? Now, maybe you caught this in the reading. I don't even know if it was so much they were concerned that she was abusing God's gift of sex. They were more looking to discredit Jesus. But yet here we are. And so Jesus, he doesn't say anything. Uh, are you gonna, Jesus, we asked you a question. Are we going to pick up the stones? And then finally Jesus speaks. And you know what he says? He says, go ahead. Grab the stones, throw them at her, but one requirement before you do, you can't have any sin in you. Not even one. If you have never sinned before, then pick up the stones. I'll stand right next to you because Jesus was the sinless son of God and we can all chuck stones at her and she can get what she deserves. And so there they stood, stones in hand, looking at her, looking at Jesus, looking at each other, like, what are we supposed to do here? And then finally, 
a stone is thrown. to the ground. And one by one, these guys drop their stones and they walk away. So there's nobody left. When we talk about sexual things and sexual sins, particularly in light of God's word, there's really two dangers that this lesson from God's word, I think, teaches us. One is that sometimes we get a little bit like the Pharisees, don't we? If it's not the sin that I struggle with, we get a little judgy. Right? I've never had an affair. I've never committed adultery. Never slept with anybody but my spouse. I can't believe he did that. She did what? Right? One of the things we, we often are tempted to do and often do sometimes is we love to, to hammer people in whatever sins that they're caught up in that maybe we don't struggle with. I've done it. You've done it too. Right? If I don't struggle with this sin, I might be, oh, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. Failing to see my own. And sexually, this happens all the time, doesn't it, right? Maybe, maybe it's when you see that same couple, same-sex couple kiss on TV, and you're like, oh, I'm so disgusted by that. But you'll turn the channel and, and, and watch a show where there's a heterosexual couple doing things they're not supposed to be doing either because they're not married. Or maybe we start lamenting of how, how wrong all the sexual stuff in our culture is, but, but we don't check the shows we watch, and, and we're not always careful on what we're clicking online. so easy, isn't it? It's super easy to look at the sin of somebody else, especially ones that we don't struggle with, and get like those Pharisees. Well, you know what God's word says. Let's grab the stones. Let's let them have it. That's one danger. I think the other pitfall then is, is the woman, right? We have given in. We, we have been caught up in sexual sins, or any other for that matter, and, and we know we shouldn't. <laughs> and we don't want to, and, and we fight it. And, but there we are clicking again. There we are looking again. There we are flirting again. And, <sighs> and sometimes we try to convince ourselves it's no big deal, right? Because everybody does this. And nobody gets hurt except someone always gets hurt. Remember what we said about idols? They, they promise blessings, but you're going to have to make a sacrifice. And that whatever the idol is, in the end, the idol does not love you. Lust does not love you. They're not going to give you what you think you want. At the end of the day, an idol always, always, always will let you down and break your heart. That's what God says. And so the temptation with, with, with sexual sins is to be like the Pharisees and we get judgy or maybe we get despair and, and we're like this woman and we cover our face and we're ready for the condemnation to come. But it doesn't come. Right, she opens her eyes. She was ready to die because she knew what her sins deserved and she looks around and no one's there except Jesus. 
And you know what Jesus says to her? Oh, it's so awesome. He says, there's no one here to condemn you, and neither do I. I forgive you. I've taken away that sin. Now go and leave that sin. Stop trying to find satisfaction and approval and worth in the arms of men. You got it all right here. Right? Jesus calls her to leave that and come to something better. You're saved, daughter. Come to me for healing and forgiveness and peace and hope and life. I can't even imagine what she was feeling when her death sentence got removed by Jesus. But then again, maybe we do. Right? Maybe, maybe you're like this woman and you've struggled with sexual sins. And you don't want to. You know what God's word says. You felt the guilt, you, you felt the shame, but, but you just can't seem to break, break free. Maybe you were willing to give up your spouse and, and your kids and maybe even a career all to find satisfaction in the arms of somebody else and only to find out the grass wasn't greener. Maybe it's the, that search engine that if anybody found out, you'd be mortified and, and you don't want to look, but you, you keep doing it. Or maybe you've been really successful and nobody knows. Maybe you have hidden these things, but, but you know and God knows and the guilt is, is eating at you. God says, come to him. Because what he said to the woman, he says to you today. Neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. Right, those rocks that you thought would, would come your way, Jesus says, th those rocks actually hit me instead of you. The screams and the accusations, they deserve to die, she should be stoned, she sinned. They weren't screaming your name, they were screaming Jesus' name. And on that cross, Jesus died for every last sin, including all the sexual sins. He died for your sins of adultery and lust. He died for the times that maybe you went too far when you shouldn't. He died for the times that you clicked on the websites you shouldn't have. In fact, he died for all of them. And he says, I forgive you. I do not condemn you. You're mine. And then he says, leave it. Leave it behind. You know, here's one thing that, that I thought about this week, and this applies to all the hidden gods, right? They promise short-term pleasure, but almost always bring us long-term pain. Jesus says, leave, leave that behind. I, I desire to give you long-term pleasure, peace, joy, forgiveness, and life now and forever. Don't go chasing the counterfeit that can't give it to you. Come to me. So How? How can we remain pure and, and use the gift of sex God's way when we live in a world that, that, that's quite the opposite and we have hearts that want to follow the opposite too? I think there was a section of our first reading that does a good job of, of shining some light on this. Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
Hmm. I don't know if you remember week one, but, but we talked about the idols that often entangle us. What does God say to do with them? Number one, we said, hunt them down ruthlessly. Hunt them down, find them, and then you know what you do with them? God says, expose them. Shine the light of my word and my love and my forgiveness on it so that it doesn't destroy you. But that's really hard. Because you know what God's saying? In context to sexual sins, God's saying you can't keep it hidden. Because you know where the sexual sins and all other sins love to hide out and thrive? In secrecy. When nobody knows except you and God, when nobody's there to help you navigate this or to maybe call you out or, or to remind you that you're forgiven, and that's exactly where sin loves you to be, alone and keep those things secret. But you know what God says? He says expose it. So, so maybe... As we think about sexual sins, maybe if these are things that you're struggling with, it means today you got to tell her. You got to tell her that you've been clicking on things after she went to bed that you shouldn't be and, and you don't want it anymore and you want to be free. Maybe it means ending that relationship that you should have never had in the first place. Maybe it means texting him and says, hey, that flirting went too far, can't do this anymore, you're a married man. Maybe it means I love you and we're committed, but you know what? We haven't said I do yet, and that's not God's way. We need to do it God's way. Is that going to be hard? Whew. Yeah. Extremely, but I guarantee you the short-term pain of that far outweighs the long-term pain of not doing anything. I want to leave you with one more thing to think about, and I want to go back to the story of the woman. She knew what she did was not God-pleasing. She knew that what she was doing was not only destroying her life, but also this guy that we're not even told much about, but he was committing adultery too, so don't forget that. And she knew that she deserved punishment. She knew that those guys should have picked up the stones and, and, and pelted them at her, but they didn't come. And they didn't come not because of something she said or did, but be, because of him. It wasn't because she was so pure, it was because of the purity of God. It wasn't because she ha had somehow figured out how to change her life because she was caught in this. No, it was because of her good and gracious king who loved her, who forgave her, who didn't just write her off, who, who didn't say, you disgusting sinner, get away from me. He knew that she would have been lost without him, and so he reached out in love and forgave her. The one who looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. You know Jesus says the same to you? Whatever the sin is, sexual or not, Jesus says, you're not beyond hope. He says, you're not helpless. You are not the sum of your sins, right? You are not what your browsing history says you are. You are not what those people think you are. Your, your, your name is not adulterer. It's, it's not promiscuous. It's not homosexual. It's not sinner. It's beloved. 
it's forgiven. It's saved. It's neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave that behind. Don't buy the counterfeit. I got the real stuff. That's who you are in Jesus. That's who you are because of Jesus and what he did for you. Do you believe it? Because Jesus says it. Amen.